Today's episode is sponsored by the American Homebrewers Association. Become a part of the U.S.'s largest community of homebrewers for just $48 a year by going to unitedwedrink.com slash AHA. What exactly do you get with your AHA membership? How about a year-long subscription to Zymergy Magazine, the world's longest-running homebrew magazine? Exclusive deals and discounts at over 2,000 breweries, bars, and bottle shops across America. Discounts on brewers' publication books and merchandise. Access to a huge library of previous HomebrewCon seminars and talks. And early access to purchasing tickets to each year's Great American Beer Festival and Savor. Sign up now by going to unitedwedrink.com AHA and get a year's membership for just $48. And if you sign up now, you'll get a free gift What's that gift? I'm not saying. You need to go see for yourself. It's pretty great. Support United We Drink, support homebrewing, and support the American Homebrewers Association at unitedwedrink.com slash AHA. The opinions and statements in this podcast do not represent those of the hosts, employers, co-workers, family, or imaginary friends. Now enjoy the show. Happy hour. More like amateur hour. Welcome to United We Drink. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a podcast that has not contributed to the nearly daily record highs of COVID cases in Florida. Welcome to United We Drink, right here on unitedwedrink.com, as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and wherever fine podcasts are found. My name is Mikey Revich, and planning a wedding during a pandemic in a hot spot state fucking sucks. I'm joined by my two co-hosts. First up is a man whose affinity for hard seltzer is matched only by his love of wearing gloves while drinking. Here's Phil Palmasano. Haven't worn a glove in a number of years, so that statement is inaccurate, my friend. Oh, nice glove. Fake news. Uh, Yeah. The the other co-host is actually wearing a glove right now, a goalie glove, it looks like. And drinking a hard seltzer, I believe. Plural, actually. Um, Got a long show. I would also describe this co-host as a very questionable mixologist at best. Here is Joel Codner. Uh, Yes, uh, I tried what I call the devil's anus yesterday, which is basically, uh, I don't even know, you can't even use the word bomb anymore, but I dropped a mini bottle of Malort into a giant wine glass of seltzer. That looks... How'd it taste? Depressing? Well, I wanted to mix it with the grapefruit, and I didn't have any cold, so I used the orange, and it wasn't bad. Um, you know, it, it, it obviously turns the seltzer yellow, so it's it's like a Chardonnay. What's funny is that him making this drink, he was concerned about how cold the beverage was. I justifiably <laughs> so. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it right. And uh, I had the worst nightmares of my life last night. I mean, I was waking up in cold sweats and breathing heavy. 
So it sounds like a good night. Oh, it was great. I'll do it 10 times out of 10. Would recommend. Would do it again. Yes. Uh, so speaking of drinking, what Joel is drinking multiple seltzers. Uh, care to plug truly. which ones? Truly. I've got a strawberry lemonade, truly hard seltzer, and then the regular truly lime. Phil, what about you? I'm on LaCroix for this evening. I'm on my second LaCroix for uh, for health reasons this week, which we'll, we can discuss offline. Sure. Uh, I'm having a Jolly Pumpkin Bam beer. Uh, mm. Back available in cans down here. Cans? Yeah. Such a good beer. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I forgot. I, I mean, I haven't had this beer in probably eight, nine years. Uh, it's great. They I also. I love the fact they're in can now instead of having to buy a 750 milliliter bottle. <laughs> and well priced yeah. too. A four a four pack of cans was I think uh twelve bucks for either Bam Beer, uh Calabaza, Blanca, and I'm probably mispronouncing this, but it looks like Hyrukin, uh, which is a blood orange ginger Saison. Oh Hyrukin! About nine dollars uh seven fifty, so that Seems to be a, a a better value in four sixteen ounce cans. Yeah, very nice. So, since the last episode, our state's become a shit show. <laughs> Understatement. <laughs> well, Understatement of the year. <laughs> because people are like, yeah, Florida, of course. Um, just this past Friday, our bars in the state were shut down once again, uh, given. No notice announced via tweet. No, 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 no. No notice is not fair to the department that came down with that. They gave about an hour's notice, all right? So <laughs> change your plans within the hour, all right? They gave an hour. That's plenty of time for last call. <laughs> Which, yeah. So this forced all breweries, uh, tasting rooms to shut down unless. They uh, are serving food that consisted of more than 50% of their sales, uh, which is probably not many breweries out there. I know it's not, not all, but there's not many of them. And like, I felt awful when around like one, one thirty, whenever we finally got clarification on this, my boss had to go walk out into the tap room and tell a handful of people who were there just having a beer Hey, sorry, state shut us down. Uh, you gotta close your close your tab. You can take stuff to go. Like that has to be one of the most awkward situations to just tell some people like you didn't do anything wrong. We appreciate your business, but you gotta go home because we're not allowed to do this. Yeah, I I, I think it's par for the course at this point in time. Unfortunately, um, I saw an Instagram post from one of the breweries. And the state um, basically said, because of the shit that we all know that's going on, we can only run these certain hours. Um, I, I hate to say it, but I think as the general public and speaking on behalf of the general public, which I like to speak for the entire state of Florida when I speak. Um, Phil is the it, official spokesperson of the entire state of Florida or unofficial. Florida whichever. man. 
better than some. Um, but uh, I, I mean, I think you have to be slightly understanding at this point in time when somebody says like, "Hey, unfortunately, we got to close." They can't get mad at you know any proprietor specifically because it's well above their head. So, um, yeah, and and this time you're not allowed to have the food truck exception which originally the food truck exception allowed some of these tasting rooms to partner up with local businesses and serve food and keep their tasting room open at the same time because it has to be 50% of your business. It, the food truck exception is uh, null and void. wonder if there's any breweries that are looking to purchase food trucks at this point in time. What, what I wonder if, you if just it would serve have on to the be food physically truck. fixed to the actual establishment, though. When it, uh, I mean, wouldn't they have to? Have I would a, assume as long as it's on business. your, on your, yeah. I mean, yes, you would. Uh, but uh, I know different municipalities work differently. Like in Boynton Beach, the food truck permitting thing is like the trucks have to get permitted, and also any establishment that has a food truck has to buy a permit as well. Um, so you can't just like invite a random truck to come set up across the street from like our brewery, which has happened before. Um, but it, it's, I don't know. Like if you buy a truck and it has all of its licensing and it's on your property, I mean, the trucks are still uh, inspected by health uh, officials. So I, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, not not legal advice. <laughs> so uh, it would be interesting to see. I mean, I've seen places that have food trucks in them as as a uh, motif for uh, for their their places, but they're in essence a kitchen. This also came was it a day after uh, Palm Beach County instituted a, a mask mandate? I know Broward and Dade have already had theirs in place, and so it's just it's coming hot and heavy again. Uh, because people are being fucking stupid out there. Well, we selfish. talked about it. Yeah. Yes, selfish, 100%. We talked about it, you know, when I traveled the state two weeks ago, I did uh, Fort Myers, Naples, or Naples, Fort Myers, Tampa, Orlando. And what was it, a month ago, I did this basically the same route without Orlando. And no one's wearing masks for the most part on the other coast of the state. Um, you, you go into pockets where you see people being intelligent and uh, protecting themselves and others, which is what you do when you wear a mask out in public. Um, but then, no lie, you can cross the street and it's a completely different atmosphere. Um, I, I, I really think that it's going to be more impactful when you look at those communities, Orlando, Tampa, Naples, Fort Myers, um, to see these changes come so drastically quick. Yeah, it's surprising that some of those counties aren't the 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 necessarily hot spots of the state yet, maybe. Um as opposed to Dade and Broward. Uh but yeah. Uh we we know the jokes that are being said at the state. It's it comes with the territory. But um yeah. The funniest thing I thought about that unanimous vote was the picture that they put in the news of the vote. So they vote unanimously to wear masks. 
yet only some of the people voting are wearing masks. On the city council, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... It was Lead my by example. Yes- what? Lead by example. <laughs> well, it was my anniversary yesterday. My wife's favorite dessert is cheesecake, so I stopped into a cheesecake factory to take some to go. Had a mask on, kept my distance, but there are just all these families with kids walking in, and, and sure, they're wearing masks, but as soon as they serve that fucking bread, you're taking that mask off, and you're going to probably be there for the next hour and a half. So, what are you doing? Like... Just take it to go, you selfish piece of shit. I know, you know, it's Boca and most families can't stand each other, but just take a meal to go, sit together, get to know each other, learn your kids' names, what they like, you know. Take away the iPads and... Yeah. Or or just strap the iPad to their face and keep it covered. <laughs> to To the parents' face? Everyone's face, just... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, this so, week, there also yeah. was uh, several layoffs at the BA, correct? Yeah, um, that was quite a, a, a. I mean, there were some uh, layoffs back in I want to say March or April. Who knows? They're all the same month anymore uh, to me. But um, it was. I'm pulling up the the article right now. Uh, the number of a number of key members, including uh, Julia Hers, the who was at the time the craft beer program director, and uh, Acacia Coast, who was the uh, State Brewers Guild manager. Um, I know I've I've worked with Acacia a couple times uh, from her work with the Florida Brewers Guild down here at like the Guild festivals uh, specifically. And, uh, like they're both long time employees at the, uh, Brewers Association. So it's, it's pretty surprising to see such long time and key members, uh, being laid off. Sadly, a ripple effect of what is going on right now and not being able to do key fundraising things for the BA, such as great American beer festival, um, I, I imagine all of that has to do with the way that the BA is having to rearrange and reassess business. Um, yeah, they of lost GABF, uh, CBC and all yeah. that. Did you guys see the GABF email that came out where they're um, setting up key discounts with state breweries across the United States and you can buy a limited edition uh a GABF shirt to support the BA and it actually has the date uh, basically stating that you purchased it during the COVID crisis. No shit. This is for this is for general public, not not brewers. Yeah, general no. public. Okay. It, it, the email went out because uh we purchased tickets uh personally. It showed up on my email um on Friday, I believe it was. So No, I didn't see that. Yeah, I know that they're still going forward. For the I know they're still going forward with the competition, at least last I, I heard, um, which should be interesting because that usually relies on a lot of brewers who fly out for the festival uh, to be in Colorado to do that. So I'm 
kind of wondering how they're going to do that this year. I assume a lot of people who are typical judges uh, won't want to fly out uh, for safety precautions. So it'll be like all Colorado people handling it. Uh, be intrigued to know how they're handling that this year. Yeah, on the GABF side, it's a passport program. So you can go around and you can purchase your passport and your passport gets you discounts to local breweries. Um, And there's a combo package where you can buy just the passport or combo package where you can buy the T-shirt and they have a men's and a women's version as well as the passport. Or you can buy the T-shirt individually or the passport individually. So they are kind of like, sorry, they're trying to find ways to make money and, and trying to be creative. Um, you know, that that's their largest money maker um, on the you know, calendar year. Sounds a little like the, uh, the AHA uh, membership deals yep. uh, that members get there. Sponsor of the show, American Home Brewers Association. Uh, the, the shirt's pretty sweet. I'm ordering it right now. It's kind of like a Heather blue and it says Brew Knighted on it. I, I think if you get one of those, and truly maximize the experience walk into one of the participating breweries drop a plastic cup on the floor and then ask them if they want anything there you go done <laughs> did you all did you also what's drop a, uh, what's the strongest beer you have on hand <clears throat> yeah be sure to play take plenty of edibles too <laughs> so uh i guess coming soon to our own store will be uh brew nighted we drink uh Oh, uh, shirts! Uh, Little IP infringement there. Yeah, well, if you're gonna go, go big. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, anyone else have anything to say about the the Brewers Association stuff before we move no, on? No, it's just yeah, it's really unfortunate, man. And hopefully, I mean, we're not even in a goddamn second wave. We've just sort of been riding the first wave and barely keeping our heads above water so you know people got to wear a goddamn mask and just just make the fucking sacrifice so we so we can eventually get back to normal we can't get back to normal just because we're tired of this yeah we got to get back to normal because it's over touche uh so the the topic for today's episode is an interesting one uh just something that came to me strangely one day Q&A was something that we did on our mini episodes when we were doing those. And those are fun to get some questions from you, the listeners, and be able to answer them and, uh, and just have some nice little interaction with you. We're going to do some Q&A today, but we're going to provide the Q and the A to each other. So Phil has some questions for us. Joel, some questions for us. I have some questions for them, uh, both individually and collectively. Um, so here, I'll, I'll, I'll start this off th- since I came up with the, the idea for this. And this question is specifically for Phil. So. Yes. That's my answer. Have, have you ever seen that IRI data seem to get something wrong about a trend and also as a follow-up is there something that you saw on iri that maybe took you longer to react to 
than you should have? Oh, um, typically, no. IRI data is it, it's scan data. So whenever someone purchases a package at your large grocer, liquor store, etc., um, and that that item is actually scanned, the data goes in. Um, so rarely would IRI data um, be wrong in what IRI data is reporting. Um, now. I, I, guess I meant you, more towards like the the trends using IRI data. Yeah, I well, that I mean, say, hey, this is hot right now because of IRI scans. There's always going to be some type of odd situation that comes out of trends in particular. Um, I, you know, how many how many hibiscus beers came out based off of Ryan Geist popularity and and scanned data behind bubbles specifically. Um, it looked like it was going to be a hot trend. These pink beers that were sessionable, they sort of played in that rosé category. Um, and brewers started taking to it. We did sort of see that rosé beer category just sort of flatten out real quick. Um, same thing when you look at some of these like brute IPAs. You'll get, and and where the issue is, is typically a larger brewery or a larger conglomerative will be able to produce a beer. And based off of how much they actually sell, they can cram it into a set. And it's like, oh, you know, here's the brand new insert high-end brewery name beer. And then it goes on sale because the larger companies have the money to basically back those and you get inaccurate scan data because people are trying it because it's on BOGO. Um, you know, for example, down here we had Carbock. When Carbock got launched in Florida, it was BOGO. And Carbock, the scan data showed that uh, Carbock in particular was doing pretty well when you look at uh, dollars per scan. That's great. That's fantastic. But at the same time, if you didn't know the context behind why they were performing so well, because they were on a BOGO, then you would just expect them to be a hot commodity. And a year later, they're no longer in the sets. So there are some weird things like that, inaccuracies when you're looking at trends, both on style and on brand. Um, but... Outside of that, IRI is pretty good at what it reports. And you typically can look at sales on their chart level and sort of see where their spikes are and where their, where their dips are. And typically those spikes are going to be programming, discounting, BOGOs, etc. <clears throat> I think the hardest part, and, and just like everything in life, if you're only looking at one track for your information then you're limited to just that. If you open up you know, where you're compiling your information from and gathering your data, then you're going to have a clearer picture of the entire industry as a whole instead of just looking at what's scanning at grocery. That answer your question? Yeah, and uh, <laughs> then the, the follow-up was, uh, have in any of your time uh, with working with this, have you seen something pop up that was trending and we're like, eh, we don't know if we want to uh, necessarily believe that. And it ended up being something and you kind of 
not miss the boat, but we're maybe a little late to the party. Well, I can't. I I I can only speak for myself. I personally thought hazy IPAs were going to be a flash in the pan, just like the Cascadian dark ales of the past. Um, I was wrong. IRI data was showing that they were still catching steam. They still are catching steam. For the longest time, probably up until about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, I really thought that they were brewery only, never going to take off. They weren't anything huge. Um, But, you know, when you look at IRI in particular, you can see Sierra Nevada, hazy little thing spiking like it's it's insane and you know so i think when you look at both i i hesitated on hazy ipas but i also think that some retailers were hesitating on hazy ipas because they were a little cautious getting into that i think we're going to see a lot more hazy shelf stable hazy ipas in the future and and grocery and retail nice at that was a great answer to both of those parts of the question. Well, thank you. I'm glad to finally learn what IRI means after us talking about it for 10 months now. <laughs> what IRI the acronym means? Because I don't think he said that. We should call it IRI. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad I, I was able to further your comprehension, Joel. <laughs> uh, Phil, how about you? you shoot out a question? I got a question for both of you guys, and this is more for the listeners more so than me, um, because I know the answer to this, but I'm curious to sort of see where you guys take it. Um, How did you guys get involved into craft beer? When did you get involved? And did you ever see yourself in the positions that you are in today? And we can start with Joel. So uh, my beginnings have kind of a strange start it was at my uncle's funeral um sitting there in the front row just looking at the casket and going oh my god like life is so fleeting and i better branch out and learn new things and and meet new people and and stuff like that and i was actually thinking about getting into wine but uh my wife got pregnant and uh i was like well i'm not gonna drink an entire bottle of wine by myself and then lo and behold all the good beers are in giant 750s at the time (laughs) so uh it was kind of pointless anyway but um you know my cousin who was the son of the uncle who had died uh was always telling me about belgian beers and and kind of broadened my horizon so i tried a bunch of belgian beers and um this was when twitter was really getting going so i put something out there that said uh, hey, just you know, looking for beer recommendations and stuff like that. Somehow, our friend of the show, Ed Roberts from uh, Total Wine and More, found me and uh, sort of mentored me into it. Recommended some mixed six packs to check out and introduce new styles. And uh, then, uh, you know, just just got into beer ever since. And and you know, back here, back then, it was a beer wasteland here. There was really nowhere to go as far as breweries, maybe one or two brew pubs, but. Um, Lots of gastro pubs popping up, lots of little beer bars, you know, where I, you know, met you guys and uh, Funky Buddha Lounge, that kind of stuff. Coffee District, 
And, uh, you know, we just, you know, like a, a brewery getting distributed here, you know, for the first time was a huge deal. I remember, you know, when Flying Dog first came here and I, you know, ran to the store and got everything they offered just to try new things because we had such limited options here at the time. So when, uh, you know, one of the first breweries uh, in the county was opening up, I, I jumped at the chance to just kind of tend bar a couple times a month and uh, make some extra cash, kind of just being part of the environment and, uh Got really into it, and uh, less than a year later, I quit my miserable cubicle job and and jumped in full-time, starting at the bottom, washing kegs, and worked my way up to head brewer over several years, and that was two breweries ago so it's it's crazy how uh you know things progress and uh to answer the question about if I thought I'd ever be where I am now, the answer is absolutely not uh, uh same. As Joel, <laughs> uh, my the, my craft beer, I guess introduction was I can't remember what year it was. Probably two thousand six, around there. I was visiting some family in PA, and my cousin was like, "Hey, let's go." Let's go to this bar. And I was like, all right, cool. So I went with him to this bar called Isaac Newton's in Newtown, PA. And he's like, hold on, let me get you the the menu. I'm like, all right. And he hands me a binder. And I'm like, what's this? He's like, that's the beer menu. I'm like, what? And it is just pages and pages of bottles and like the draft they had. I think they have like 20 drafts uh, on there. And I, I was just like, I didn't know what I was looking at. So I just kind of left it up to him. He he was like, well, do you, do you like Guinness? I was like, yeah, I, I don't mind Guinness. It's, it's good. Cause I, I was at that point, I drank Yingling lager and it was just like a more flavorful thing than like, even at that time, I was like, eh, Bud Light, it's not really a thing for me. Sam Adams and uh, uh, Yingling, even though those are technically craft beers, uh, I was drinking those, but just thought that they were just your everyday normal beer. Didn't know anything about craft beer really at this point. And he's like, all right, I got you. And he goes up in orders and he comes back with a bottle and a glass of Samuel Smith oatmeal stout. And I was like, holy crap, this is really good. Uh, like, I was like, it actually has an oatmeal-like taste to it. It's not like in your face, but like it's it's such full-bodied, rich flavors. I'm like, okay, cool. And then he went and got me, he's like, all right, I'm going to step you up now. He got me old Rasputin after that. That was a bit of a, a kick in the pants, but that, that started me on it. Uh, the Total Wine and More in Boynton Beach opened maybe a month or so before or after that. I can't remember. And then I started finding myself in the beer aisle, making a bunch of mixed six packs. When Joel was saying about Flying Dog coming down here, I remember when Stone came down here. Like I had heard and read about Stone and Arrogant Bastard. And I was like, oh, I get to try this Arrogant Bastard beer. And uh, I was like, this is so good. Um, then I, I started the beer blog and I started 
uh, meeting folks like you uh, at, at the places Joel mentioned, Coffee District at Del Rey, the old Buddha Lounge in, in Boca, and uh, the Lodge in Boca, uh, RIP. Wow. Um, and uh, doing the podcast thing, and then practically got into the industry the same way Joel did, bartending uh, a few days a week at the same brewery. Uh, there was a, at, at a point that where Joel and I were working like every other Saturday with each other, um, behind the bar and then got into, got a full-time gig there, left it. Not that I was miserable, uh, working in web hosting. I made good money and I liked the company that I worked for. I just, uh, wanted to get more involved with beer and, uh, am I where I thought I'd be? No. <laughs> Is that good or bad? I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't really know where I where I thought that I would see myself uh, back when I got into the industry. Uh, it's. I can't remember if I had had a thought on that, but um, I kind of like it better not knowing where I'm going because if I knew where I was going, I'd just go there and catch up with myself later. <laughs> Very nice. Kind of a riff Thank on a Hedberg joke there. <laughs> Joel, you got a question? I do. So, um, and I and, and this was more toward Mike, but I, I guess you know Phil can be involved as well. Um, you know the the industry seems to have an issue with you know, and this isn't in everybody's case. I mean, it's just it's just one of those things where it, it's one of those unfortunate kind of flaws where, you know, it seems like in many cases there isn't proper compensation. You know, you got a lot of hardworking people making, you know, barely a living wage. You know, we saw someone that we know, I won't name names. I don't want to put them out there or anything, even though they mentioned it publicly, I'll, I'll keep their name out of it. But, you know, we saw someone this week that we know online say, hey, I'm, I'm going to get onto the industry for a little bit because, you know, my wife's kind of the breadwinner and, and I'm going to let her focus on her career and I'm going to step back and, and you know, be a, you know, be a stay at home parent and all this. So, you know, it seems like this brewery just kind of has this issue where, it, it's kind of notoriously underpaying and, and under benefiting or, or whatever you want to call it. And the industry, you said this brewery. <clears throat> Sorry, the industry. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and it's frustrating because, you know, you, you see people who go through it. I, I talk to a lot of people privately who express concerns about it and, you know, they wonder, you know, they love it so much, but they wonder if, you know, they just have to get out of it for, for those types of reasons. So I guess my question to you guys is, what do you think can be done, if anything, about kind of improving compensation, benefits, things of that nature? You know, are, are, are we really stuck leaving it, you know, brewery to brewery, or is there something kind of as a whole that can be done to do a little better for the people who make the industry work? Uh, I I think that there's a lot of brewery owners who need to bring their expectations into reality. Um, I think that with what I mean by that is you have a lot of people who want to get big fast, and that means you need to produce a lot. 
To produce a lot, you need to have people working for you. Well, in order to have that many people working for you and not be making a whole lot of money as a company, you need to pay them less money uh, than what they probably are due for working a hard manual labor job that is also dangerous. Um, and and that's the thing with this industry. Brewing beer has become this romantic uh, type of job. It's looked at as, as artistic and um, that you're you're an artist by making beer and creating something like this creating a culture creating uh, something that's a meeting place for your community and uh, it it doesn't commonly get looked at as an industrial manufacturing job which it pretty much is and uh i mean we could i we went on about like how they forget about safety concerns a lot in a previous episode, but because of those things, people want to get involved in this industry so much that uh, they're they're willing to get paid pretty poorly for hard jobs, working many hours over time in a dangerous environment just to do something artistic and, and create something. And that's a problem. Uh, I, I think, uh, I, someone, a colleague of mine who worked for a previous brewery had his boss tell him like, I, I have people literally banging down my door to come work here. If you don't want to do this, I'll find, find someone who will for less money than you. That's fucked up. And like, it, it's it's almost to the point of like we're close to damn near sweatshops, child labor stuff with the way some of these owners act, and I I'd be lying if I said that I uh, I didn't consider leaving the industry at certain points. I mean I took six months off at one point uh, because I was burnt out. I wasn't making terrible money at that time, but I was just burnt out on the industry. Uh, the the environment work environment I was at was, was poor and I just needed a break mentally and slowly got myself back into it. And, uh, now it's like, I'm getting married. Uh, I want to buy a house with, with my fiance. And it's like all these things that you, you, you need some more money for. And it's like working on a passion doesn't pay my bills. Um, it's something that like I, I I feel like if you if you can not afford to bring on the three people that you need to run your brew house to reach your goals and pay them adequately well, you probably shouldn't be making that much beer because you should be paying the people who work there a good wage for the work that they're putting in. And if that means making less beer, then you need to find other way places where you cut your costs because it sounds like your budgeting's all out of whack. And it also um, feels like it's one of those things that the industry just kind of thinks it can get away with in certain cases. Like, you know, oh, we're not corporate, so we can do this and that. Like, you know, we're yeah. we're, you know, we we can be a little bit more laid back. We we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna have benefits. We're not gonna have all these things. Just in the same sense, you know, you kind of get the vibe from some of these breweries, like. 
yeah, it's okay that our tap room's a shithole because that's the charm of it. And I just, I feel like with 8,000 breweries now and so many more people in the industry and, and it growing at such a rapid rate with, with not a commensurate rate of educated or experienced people filling those roles, it, it feels like it's one of those things where it's just like the industry thinks it can kind of get away with that. And it, it with this many now, it just, it doesn't feel like that's a proper excuse anymore. And And one last thing. Uh, what what you said there, so many times people throw out the, uh, well, that's the industry average. Well, be better. Like, if the entire industry is sucking at paying people, then of course the numbers are fucking skewed towards that. Like, you know better. Like, just because, if say there's 9,000 breweries, I don't know how many there are anymore. I, I, I've stopped paying attention to that. Say 8,000 breweries are highly underpaying their people. 500 are doing a little bit better and 500 are doing above uh, better. Like the numbers are still going to be super skewed. Like, fuck that. Like, like I, I don't want to say like be one of those people. Well, these people in these jobs make more money than that and don't work in such a dangerous like i i know what i'm doing i signed up for it i'm trying not to be sound like i i i i don't appreciate what i have but this is an industry that really needs to look at uh compensation of their employees the people who they call family in a lot of cases and help take care of them a little better i would love to really dive down every <clears throat> tiny wormhole that I think this conversation could be punched. Um, I, you know, main thing is, is you guys said it, there's too many breweries and there are a ton of breweries. Some of these breweries are being opened, um, not because of passion projects that, you know, Joel, you want to open up a brewery because you've been brewing beer and you want to, uh, do something on your own. It's sometimes these are, you know, uh, this is my retirement. Here it is. Here's my brewery. Um, and I think when people are, people are trying to get into this industry sheerly for the business aspect of it, because there's so many people, I just, I want to be an owner of a brewer or a brewery. Are you a brewer? No, I'm not a brewer. I'm going to hire a brewer. Okay. Then at that point in time, you should have to pay that brewer, uh, proper compensation. The BA does release uh, average pay on their website every year. Um, so something to look at. You jump over to the uh, Brewers Association and look at it. And if you're unaware of what the industry pays, um, you can actually sort of see based off of the position, based off of how many barrels the uh, brewery produces, etc. That's the other thing is it, for us as an industry to move to better paid positions across the entire brew house and within sales, you have to be able to produce enough beer to sustain the salaries of those individuals while also being able to uh, increase capacity in your facility. So, and it, it's costly, uh, it, specifically in an industry where the margins are very thin. Um, so there's a price war going on there's people that are getting into this industry because they think it's a quick way to make money. Um, everybody wants to be the next treehouse. Um, you know, I'm going to sell everything through my tasting room. It's probably not going to happen. Um, 
So I I think that there's a reality check that needs to happen in the industry. And at that point in time, the reality check will then allow, hopefully, uh, uh, more of a uh, clear um, transparency of pay and how we can get better. Uh, all right. Those uh, satisfying answers, Joel? I'd like a little more information. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's that's a lot of great perspective, especially uh you know what Phil said. Yeah. I Phil Phil's made a ton of great points like yeah. Uh, we could spend uh, an entire hour long episode just oh, on that yeah. topic because there is Maybe it it should be. There's so many other things that are in play. I mean, the pricing war alone is horrible. Um you know, and then it, if you look at the three-tier system and which tier is making the most profit when you look at that, um, we're not. I'm not here to point fingers at either tier um, outside of the supplier tier. But, I, you know, when you do look at the margins are very thin across the board, both for supplier, wholesaler, and even retailer in some degrees. Um, pricing wars are dangerous and, and unfortunately we are in an industry with a pricing war, um, very strong pricing war. Yeah. Uh, Joel, this question is for just you. Uh, you have said a number of times that you're never done learning in this industry and you're constantly learning new things. With that said, what are some things that you are really wanting to learn more about in this industry? Well, um, I would say one of those things, my weak point is water chemistry. It's just, you know, like if you have those four brewery books, you know, beer, uh, hops, water, yeast, and uh, malt, like it's terrifying to even open the water one. And, you know, four years ago when I was at... Uh, uh, Siebel, thanks to the Florida Brewers Guild, um, for two weeks. Like, one of the very first classes was water chemistry taught by Ray Daniels, and it's like, holy shit. But at the same time, it's insanely intimidating and very hard to... I, I mean, it's... You know, like, malt, you can kind of... You know, it's like when you've... Especially when you've worked with it, it's like, okay, like, I know what Turo is. I know what the caramel malts are. You know, I know about rye and wheat and oats and flaked corn and flaked rice and all these different adjuncts and things. And, and you know, the way you can introduce different sugars like dextrose and lactose. But... And even with hops, you know, hops are always a learning experience. and They're always coming out with new experimental things. But, like... And, you know, I mean, yeast, Jesus Christ. Like, yeast feels like it's honestly more approachable than water because it's like, oh, you think half yeast, you know, what sort of, you know, flavors and, and, you know, things that produces, um, at varying temperatures, you know, are you, are you getting more banana or clove, you know, yeasts almost feel so much more approachable than, than water because like, you know, you're talking about ions and cations and fucking 
hard water, soft water, all the different salts and reverse osmosis and all these different, it, it, to me, it's just very intimidating. And it's something that I really want to get more into because now having worked at three different breweries in three completely different locations with three completely different filtration systems, um, it's something that you're constantly having to adjust. You know, you can, you know, yeah, you're always adjusting your alpha acids when you're getting different hops and, and, you know, you're looking at your malt analyses and all those sorts of things, uh, you know, cell counts with yeast. But, you know, when you change water and filtration from brewery to brewery, um, it, it, it freaks you out a little bit. And that's something that I definitely want to really dive more into. Um, just, you know, just knowing it's one of my weak spots, I would really love to learn more about the kind of business and sales side of it. You know, I, I think that's really Phil's super strong point, And I feel like I always learn something from him every episode when it comes to that. Um, personally, like that kind of stuff bores the shit out of me. Like I, I like the crafting of the beer and, and the creative side of it, you know, whether it's, you know, coming up with different flavors or brewing new things, having a fun story behind it, naming it is, is something I really love. But, um, I just completely suck at the business and, and, you know, the sales side of it. Like I just, I don't know shit and I immediately tune out as soon as I start hearing about it. So, but I know it's something I'm going to need to know. So, you know, I just, I really want to keep learning. And, you know, when I tell people there's no like level 100 brewer, it's because I want them to know that, you know, don't get arrogant, stay humble and remember that you're always going to have to learn new shit. There's always going to be new ingredients, new processes, new styles. And, you know, if, if you settle into your comfort zone, you're going to fall behind real quick. Awesome. Uh, Phil, you have another question? Question for you both, but in different aspects. So um, what, in your opinion, both of you have worked for smaller breweries on the Uprise. Um, Mike, what is the most important thing for a small brewery to get right on the marketing side first? And then Joel, uh, what is the most important thing for a small brewery to get right on the production side? I'll let Joel go go first. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what to get right on the production side? Obviously, that's beer. Obviously, it's cleanliness, process. Um, hire a professional. If you are one of these breweries, like Phil mentioned earlier, that is in it for the trend, like I've often compared some of these people, one of whom I've worked for, uh, to someone who 10 years ago would have opened a fucking self-serve frozen yogurt shop or a gourmet cupcake bakery in a strip mall somewhere. You know, there, a lot of people just seem like they're cashing in on trends. So if you don't know shit about beer, you better hire someone who does and get the beer right right off the bat. If you need to get your system in line and, um, you know, work out the kinks, dump that initial shitty beer if it's bad. Like, you have one shot for a first impression, and that's just not on your first day. That's every day. You have new people coming in all the time. This is their first chance trying your beer. Maybe some beer geek grabbed their macro-loving friend and brought them to your brewery, and, you know, this is somebody's first try at craft beer. And, you know, you know we're so ingrained in this industry that – we often forget what it's like on the outside. Like everyone, just like with coffee, everyone still thinks it's, you know, just the commercial Budweiser, Miller Coors, Maxwell House, Starbucks, and and people are not exposed to 
all the good stuff we know about. So when you try to introduce someone to it and, you know, they immediately get turned off by some horrifically defective beer or just something with horrific alcohol burn or too bitter or, you know, brewers need to remember that bitter and sour are acquired tastes. These are not something that, you know, we experience often with everything else. You know, like where else are you going to really get IBUs and shit like that. Yeah, there's spicy and peppery and hot and savory and sweet, but these other things, you know, people aren't often used to, and they are so prevalent in the industry now. I mean, even someone with a sweet tooth might be turned off by a pastry stout, so you've got to get the beer right, and, you know, if if, if you're, you know, like a brew pub like I used to work for and can keep it rotational, you know, consistency may not be the most... Uh, highest priority, you know, as far as, you know, you know, because if you're rotating, like, you know, six months between two different, sorry, let's say you brew like the same IPA uh, six months apart, like, you know, if you keep it similar, it, you know, it's fine and it's good, you know, just keep it high quality. It doesn't have to be biochemically identical to the one you made six months ago because no one's going to remember. But if you're making fucking Budweiser, like, yeah, it should taste the same on every continent you go to. So, you know, like I said, just hire someone who knows beer, can produce quality, consistency, not taking shortcuts. And uh, then, I mean, there's still a thousand other things you need to work on too. But uh, as far as the production side, yeah, get get the beer right. Uh, as for from a marketing standpoint, I would say when you're thinking about your brand before you're creating it, Think about how to how you will differentiate yourself from all the other breweries. Then take those ideas and throw them away because they're probably not unique. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest issues right now is everyone wants to say, I'm local, I'm independent. Okay, so is the, the person down the street and then the other way as well. There's too many breweries to where Local is not a marketing thing anymore. Almost anyone has access to a local beer. That that shouldn't be part of your brand identity. Uh, you and almost everything else everyone's coming up with is like handmade, handcrafted, with passion, with love. Blah 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 blah. Artisanal. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like none of that's unique. And and if you're fine with not being unique in that sense, that's cool. You can come up with other ways to differentiate yourself. But you really need to differentiate yourself from everyone else to make you stand out. Because really, when it when it all boils down to it, you're all making making beer. You're all local. You're all independent, and you're all looking for those same people. Because, let's face it, that 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 pe- that window of people from the macro side is has gotten way smaller. The people that you're trying to convert from wine or spirits, that window's gotten way smaller, if not gotten near closed. Like you're competing for the same people, and you want those people who go to the brewery down the street to the left and the brewery down the street to your right to come to you more often. You need to stand out. And like what Joel said, beer is very important. But just making your voice be something that has never been heard before, 
uh, I think is super important. Would you say that's more important than a logo or a uh, it, even a name? I I think that both of those are are important. I mean, and, and probably equally so because you could have a great tone and voice and, and plan, but if your uh, brewery's name is Bobo's Brewing Company then who's going to take you seriously? Um, and, and you know what? Like, if you don't have a designer, if you're not a designer or you don't have a designer who can do uh, your, like your logo work for you, then investing and in getting a real professional-looking logo and brand identity before you even open your doors is probably going to be one of the best investments that you can make. Uh, you might think like, oh, we don't have any money coming in. We can't afford to spend that. If you don't have uh, any market like budget in y- your your funds to create stuff like that initially, you probably shouldn't be opening a brewery. Like, I, I mean, we we got called out for this on a uh, a uh, ha- uh, one of our happy hours before that about Joel and I's uh, ambitions at opening a brewery and. Believe me, I've I've worked on a lot of uh, design work for this little project, and I'm I'm still completely open to having another design company come in and work on stuff, ha- uh, paying artists, local artists, uh, to do stuff because uh, with the idea requires some like what we would want to create requires a little more uh, skill than what I, I have. And I, I think that brand identity, logo, uh, and name are all important, but like that brand identity is is what's going to separate you from the rest. Well, your brand identity could almost dictate your logo or your name mm-hmm. eventually. Absolutely. And if I could just tack on to that a little bit, you know, you need to ask yourself when you've decided on a name and a logo and all that kind of stuff, you got to, you know, literally look in the mirror and go, does anyone care about this? You know, there are some weird named places that, you know, they're named just because of where they are. And sometimes they can be hard to pronounce or sometimes they're in locations that just don't relate to other places. You know, maybe they're more middle America and not East Coast, West Coast, that kind of thing. Yeah, I've just, I remember one time at the last brewery I was working at, which had a palm tree logo. An owner of a brewery with another palm tree logo came in, and I actually thought he was a guy from another brewery with a palm tree logo. So, you know, especially here in Florida, you get a lot of this nautical... Uh, coastal ocean, this that, like beach and right, and it 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 just all starts getting redundant after a while, and and maybe that's just something that we're kind of used to being here because, like everywhere you go, it's like sunny this and palms that, so it, it gets pretty redundant, and I think you've really got to sit back and and think to yourself like, is this going to identify with anyone? Do they care about it? And then you have some people on the other extreme who have these like super wacky names. And even though 
you know, the, the industry is growing and everything. Like I still have a weird time, like looking at some of these brewery names and going, am I going to be saying that brewery name in 20, 30 years, like Sierra Nevada or Sam Adams? And, and you probably, you know, just as a, a rule of thumb at, at this point in 2020 with this many breweries, probably try to stay away from dogs, trees, fish, uh, boats, compasses, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I feel like it, you you might as well just go into Microsoft Word and pull up Wingdings and just pick something. Uh, <laughs> you know, no more twisted, crooked, wicked, whack, you know, like, come on. They're, they're, we got millions of words. Uh, all right. So we're running really long on this one. So, Joel, last question. Do you have one? For me. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so let's, and this is for both of you real quick. If uh, both of your bosses come to you tomorrow and say, hey, we're eliminating your position. We're not eliminating you, but uh, we're, we're just getting rid of whatever it is that you do. Uh, and no questions asked. Uh, choose another position here. What, what do you go? What do you go to? Oh. Wow. Uh, and you have two seconds to decide or you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can I go to a different department in sales, or are they just eliminating sales? And no, we're not tired? selling beer anymore. Oh, Pick something. Oh, okay, all right. Um, I, I, if you're not selling beer anymore, I'd probably quit because your business isn't going to last very long. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I honestly, I would, I would really like to go into HR. It sounds funny and weird, and you guys definitely have known me for way too long. Um. I I am intrigued in the training aspect of this industry um, and development of, um, you know, be it taproom employees or, um, you know, sellermen production side. I know the last place you would want me is on the brew deck. Uh, how does that work for me when I am in the seller Just say you're marketing. and marketing. Just go marketing. But I'm I know I'm I'm way more seller than I am marketing. Well, if they eliminate sellering, then again, you have more <laughs> problems than just them eliminating seller. Say they they hired uh, a marketing firm and they are farming out your marketing position. Where do you want to go? Uh I want to I want to be uh what everyone always asks. Got any uh, uh, taste tester positions open? QAQC. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Sensory. All right. Uh, I probably, yeah, bar. I I don't want to be on the brew deck. Like, uh, it's not that I, I, I go as negative as Phil. It's like, you don't want me on the brew deck? I don't want to be there. Like, and I don't want to be in the sales market either. I know that I have the capabilities of doing both of those, both of those jobs. I just don't want to, uh, they're, they're either stressful, uh, way more stressful than I want to be. Uh, or I just don't think I, I just mentally can't do it. I, I think I would be a bad salesperson because I'm awkward as fuck to strangers. Speaking of, I do want to get back into brewing and I've inquired about sort of getting my brew equipment back from the uh, individual that's holding it, which is, um, <laughs> he's like, yeah, it's still in my garage. Nobody's using it. So I don't even know what's in there, if it's working, if it isn't working. Um, but yeah, I definitely want to get back into brewing. Cathartic, awesome. to say the least. 
Maybe we'll have a socially distanced brew day someday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I thought that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Uh, definitely got some uh, some rants going on there. Hopefully you enjoyed but, it as well, audience. Yeah. And uh, if you ever want to hear us talk about, ask us uh, questions, shoot us over. I, I, sh- uh, shoot us shoot them over to us don't shoot us um we we like questions like that um does anyone have a last call because i i really didn't think of one for this week i have a last call slash recommendation go ahead check out the movie 7500 on amazon prime video uh it's a very intense film uh basically about a plane hijacking starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who I actually don't like. I think he gets way too ambitious roles and fails miserably, whether it's Cobra Commander or fucking Robin in, you know, The Dark Knight or whatever. So, uh, but really, really good movie. Super intense. Everything takes place, you know, within a couple hours and uh, there's really just one setting and that's the cockpit of the plane. So, um you know, you rarely see hijacking movies from that perspective, but super intense movie, and uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Phil? Um, I watched the new movie with Will Ferrell last night, Eurovision, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was uh, not horrible. So that that's my recommendation, not horrible. Um, but it actually, the... Uh, my wife and I had a conversation at the end of the movie. Uh, they're singing this song um, that I, I won't ruin the movie, but they're singing this song. And um, they. When someone says, I'm not going to ruin a movie, they are ruining the movie. Okay. Well, the whole movie <laughs> is them not. singing songs. Uh, Eurovision is like uh, America's Got Talent or like The Voice or something like that. Um, and at the end of the movie. Dina and I looked at each other and we said, this could go viral. And so I, I was like, yes, you're 100% right. And and typically she is. Um, but I'll be very curious to see if that song in particular starts charting at any point in time. Um, it, it's worth a watch. It, it's somewhat funny. Uh, I, yeah, we watched the trailer this morning and it seems... Seems fun. It's different. Joel won't watch it. He hates Will Ferrell. I listen. Uh, I do not hate Will Ferrell. I just need him in short bursts. I can't have him starring in a film like old school supporting <laughs> character. Great, but I can't take two hours of Will Ferrell just yelling and screaming like he does in every movie. I almost ended a very important friendship over Talladega Nights because I had a I had a friend come over. He tried to put it on. I threw something. He called me a fucking asshole and left, and we didn't speak for months. Uh, so yeah, it's the same character. Uh, it's just a, of course a movie it is. about uh, Icelandic singing. So it's like Ben Stiller playing some neurotic guy that just can't help but fuck up everything. Oh, and happy uh, birthday, Mel Brooks! <laughs> uh, plugs, Phil. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at pbomasano77 and on Twitter at dosbirigos. Florida D-U-H Brewer on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me at Mike Loves Beer on Instagram and Twitter. The show is on Twitter at United We Drink. 
on Instagram at United We Drink Pod. Uh, we're also on Facebook as well. And uh, you can always find the show on any of those major streaming services uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of them. Also, our website, unitedwedrink.com. You can buy a shirt, sticker, button, uh, and lots of other cool stuff on our web store, unitedwedrink.com slash store. For these guys, we'll see you in a couple weeks with a brand new episode. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Wear a fucking mask. Cheers. Yeah, for sure. There's um, there's different there, there's anonymously anomalies anomalies yeah thank you there's a non i can't say the fucking word phenomenal <laughs> um, <laughs> this is um, going in the post credits yeah absolutely <laughs> um